Maximize Your Influence is your podcast for the latest persuasion, sales, and negotiation techniques. Our mission is to help you influence on command, anyone, anytime, anywhere. Your host is the author of Persuasion IQ, Laws of Charisma, and the best-selling book, Maximum Influence. Now, your host, Kurt Mortensen. Hello and welcome to Maximize Your Influence. Kurt Mortensen again, as we teach you the tools of persuasion, the characteristics of influential people, and the keys to be charismatic all in one spot. This is episode 257. Something ends in the number seven. It's more persuasive. Did you know that? Especially in pricing. Odd numbers are always more persuasive than even numbers. And seven pulls the best. It used to be nine. Now it's number seven. So take that at heart when you are pricing. And especially when you're doing proposals or budgets, when it's a nice, juicy round number, it's not persuasive because it sounds like you pulled it out of the air. Just a safety tip as we get started here with Maximize Your Influence. Appreciate your emails, your thoughts, your comments. Your rude remarks, I'll take those too at Kurt, K-U-R-T, at MaximizeYourInfluence.com. Everything you need from your Persuasion IQ test to subscribing to the podcast to additional information is at MaximizeYourInfluence.com. With housekeeping out of the way, let's jump into it as I spent the week in Vegas. And as we talked about last week, my subconscious is overloaded. It's just at every angle in Vegas. We'll talk a little bit more about that with blunders this week. And those who have been to Vegas know you could only handle so much of Vegas. And you got to detox a little bit because you get at every angle. They're trying to fleece you out of your money. They're trying to seduce you to gamble. You name it, they're trying to do it. They don't want you to leave with any money at all. Good, thanks for being here. Hopefully you are achieving your goals this year. I'm going to say it again, everything you want in life is on the other side of persuasion and influence. I'm all about having your core competence. You need that. But the bigger piece is going to be your soft skills. And we'll talk about a few of those today. So let's start off this week with our geeky article. This one comes from the National Academy of Sciences and Intelligence, their journal, and the researchers being Bradsburg, Rogeberg, Flynn, and Scheer. This was done in 2018, so sit down. This might scare you a little bit that there are some changes in human IQ, and they're not good because human IQ has been dropping steadily over the last few decades. We are becoming dumber, not smarter. Now, the interesting thing is that the early part of the 20th century, we were getting smarter and smarter. Now, we're getting dumber and dumber. <laughs> What they did is they gave IQ tests given to people all over the world. This is not just in the United States or North America. This is all over the world. And there were 730,000 tests given. So there's a lot of data to draw from here is that we're dropping seven IQ points on average each generation or 25 years. And what's worse, there are multiple studies that find the same conclusion. Studies in... Uh, Finland, Denmark also show the same thing. We're becoming dumber. Now, if you're a parent, you already know that's true for your teenager. No, I'm kidding. That's a frontal lobe issue, but we'll talk about that another time. But like, what's the deal? Why is it dropping? Why are we becoming dumber? What's the culprit? Why is our stupidity increasing? Well, some people blame nutrition and we're eating less fish. 
Everyone knows fish is brain food, the oils in fish. Your brain needs those to become smart, so that could be an issue. Poor education, that's probably true. It was a great heroic effort to make sure no child is left behind, but when you go down the lowest common denominator, everyone lowers to that standard. The rise of technologies, I'll definitely agree with that one. We don't have to learn how to spell anymore. We don't even have to memorize phone numbers anymore. When somebody asks me my wife's phone number, I'm like, uh, I have to really think about it because it's just speed dial. You hit it, you don't have to think about it anymore. Everything you have to remember, you could put in one spot. Some blame the social environment or lack of social interaction. Of course, that's a function of technology also. And also function we're keeping to ourselves when we're staying at home more. We don't have to leave the house anymore. We've got Netflix, so we never have to go see a movie. We've got Uber Eats. We can get food delivered anytime. we got grocery stores delivering groceries. There's really never a reason to leave the house. I mean, you could live in your house and have everything delivered for you. That might be part of it. And that was the other one they mentioned was the media exposure. We're watching a lot of media, and that tends to dumb us down. So bottom line with these research studies, the human race is making itself a little more stupid because of its lifestyle. Kind of interesting, something to think about. I don't know, do you feel smarter or dumber in the last year? Probably smarter because you listen to podcasts. We know personal development is a huge piece of learning and growing. And I've mentioned it before, a Harvard study shows that those who are learning and growing every day become more optimistic, enthusiastic about life, what they're accomplishing. But those who don't learn and grow every day become very negative, pessimistic, and doubtful. So if you're leading a team or running a family, maybe a book of the month club, a podcast of the month, hey, I'll, I'll recommend this one. Something to learn that they can hold on to. So not only do we become smarter, but they feel smarter. There's, it changes the whole psyche. I've paid my kids, usually during the summertime, to do book reports. Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People, Napoleon Hill's Thinking or Rich, some of the classics. Clayson's The Richest Man in Babylon, Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, and he has one for teens. Do a book report. They're making money, they're learning, they're growing. It's a win-win all the way around. Just something to think about as we get past our geeky article of the week that we are a little more dumb. And that brings us to our blunder, Homer. Don't, don't, don't. And our blunder's going to leave into our content to the day because, you know, I spent a lot of time in Vegas with a lot of great persuasive messages, but you get a lot of the lame ones too, especially with the hotels. Well, I guess I'm not going to name names that pretty much destroy your visit. You would think they want to be inviting, and they do try. There's certain aspects, but when you show up to a hotel to check in, you've just flown in, you've taken the taxi or Uber in, and I set my stopwatch. I waited 52 minutes to check in. That's known as a first impression. When the first thing goes wrong, you look for everything that goes wrong. Or if the first thing goes right, you're looking for everything that goes right. First impressions are real. We don't think about it sometimes. We've all been told, oh, you never judge a book by its cover. Yeah, right. Everyone's judging everyone else, whether it be a company an organization, a hotel. Intentionally or not, people are constantly judging and categorizing others, compartmentalizing them into boxes. There are many boxes. Sharp, strange, weird, intelligent, dense, geeky, powerful, annoying, whatever it is. And my research shows when you create a positive first impression, you have an 85% chance of persuasion. With a negative perception, you only have 15%. And a great persuader can connect with anyone in 30 seconds or less. That's how much time you have. First impressions only take seconds to form. 
but they last a lifetime. Studies show this is also true in job interviews. They know in the first minute or two. They're just giving you the time of day because they're polite and being nice and don't want to get sued. (laughs) It's just how it works. This is a critical skill to develop because the cement dries fast. How do you ensure you make those early seconds count? That first judgment is critical to your success. You know that. Even a person's handshake can set you back an hour in building rapport. And that's all they remember about you is your bad handshake. This is a fast-paced world. I don't think you're getting a second chance with that cement drying fast. I mean, sure, you could change it. You can schedule another appointment, rip out the cement, pour some new cement, let it dry. I mean, it's possible. It's just not worth the effort most of the time. Because I bet you've met a perfect stranger before. You hit it off. You had plenty to talk about. You've created that rapport. You're comfortable with that person. You could talk about anything. Probably lost track of time. Everything clicked between the two of you. That's critical to get as a persuader because, again, the cement dries fast. Anyway, back to the blunder. I'm not going to name names because I stay at this hotel quite a bit. Not that I want to, but if I had chose, I wouldn't. But it's part of the contract with the training I do down there. So 52 minutes to check in. Now, if you know me, I'm not a waiter, and that's a little excessive. A few minutes I can wait, but 52 minutes, and there was no apology at all. It was like, oh, you get to stay here? How privileged you are to stay at this fine establishment. (laughs) That's all there was. And then they want to charge you a resort fee, over $40 a day to have free internet. But if you do the math, that's not free. You're paying $44, but then you have access to the gym and a few other things. And like, what if I don't want those things? Well, you still have to pay it. And so, yeah, they don't tell you until you check in. So that rubs you the wrong way. And here's what really got me is the line at the elevators. It took forever to get up these elevators. I mean, you had to wait every time whether you wanted to go up. Not so much going down, but when you wanted to go up, you were waiting in a line to get in these elevators. So this is what really got me. So they told me I'm on the 12th floor, and they had this numbering system that I didn't get. I don't know if anybody could get. I mean, it's usually pretty simple, the numbering system, but there's different towers and different numbers and different spots, and They told me to go on the 12th floor, and my room wasn't on the 12th floor. So I picked up the phone there on the 12th floor to try to figure out, operator, come on. They transferred me, and they said, oh, no, you're on the 10th floor. So I went to the 10th floor. It's not there. I picked up the phone. The phone doesn't work, and I'm not getting happier by the moment at all. So I went back down to the lobby, tried to find someone where I didn't have to wait in line. They said, no, you're on the 11th floor. Went to the elevators, wait line, went up, and it was the 11th floor. So I'm not a happy person here. And it wouldn't have been as bad if I didn't have to wait the 52 minutes. But remember, if everything goes right, people are looking for things that are going right. Then it goes wrong. I'm looking. I'm looking now for things that are wrong. Why I hate this hotel. Why am I going to make it a blunder of the week? And then I get into my room and the air conditioner is noisy, making noises all night long. And I'm like, oh, do I complain? Do I find another room? Do I leave? Is it worth it? And it just went on and on from there. So big lesson with that first impression. Big lesson of making everything go right when people get to your website, to your place of business, during your presentation, even during a seminar. If I'm doing a seminar and the coffee's not there or something's wrong or people have to pay for parking or it was hard to find, that comes off on the presenter. In fact, that was the other thing that happened. It took people about 45 minutes to find the seminar room in Vegas because it was in the back 40, hard to find. 
In fact, literally, you had to go up an escalator and down some stairs to get to it. You couldn't walk straight to it. <laughs> that did not help. In fact, I asked three people to try to find how to get there and got three different directions. So careful with that. And as you think about that first impression, I want to get into a term that's called primacy or recency effect. Some people call it serial position effect. Maybe some new words for you, but it's really not that difficult to understand. So this research started with Atkinson and, and Scherflin. This was back in the late 60s, early 70s to find out the brain and what we remembered. And they were trying to figure out to remember the first part of a message, the middle part, the last part. How does this work? And they showed participants a list of 20 words. And so after they would show them these words, they would, of course, make the words disappear and ask them which ones they would remember. And they remember the very first few and the very last few coming up with the primacy and recency effect, meaning remember the first part of any message and the last part of any message the most, or first part of any encounter with somebody the most and the last part. It didn't even matter if it went up to 40 words, it was about the same. And so they theorized that when we heard those first couple of words were repeated, we tried to remember because that was part of the exercise to remember. And those went into our long-term memory because the first two, three, four words we could repeat, repeat, think it through. But then it got longer and longer, and it was too hard to do that. And then the last couple ones, they were last, the recency effect. And they thought those went into short-term memory. So we could recall a little bit from the long-term memory and some from the short-term memory. So to test this out, Glanzer and Kunis, if I get those names right, wanted to figure out if that's true. Is it a long-term, short-term memory thing? And so they showed them the list of words. But they made them wait 30 seconds before they could uh, recall the words on the list. Then they did something a little sneaky or mean, we could call it. They had to count backwards in threes. What that does is it erases your short-term memory. And they were right. At the end, when they recalled the list, they could only recall the first ones because the last ones were only in short-term memory. So the question is, should we go first or last? If there's an option of going from spot one to 10, should you go number one or number 10? So we obviously know, don't go in the middle. Try to be first or last. Even in your messages, your presentations, the good stuff's got to be very in the very beginning at the very end. I mean, you want good stuff all the way through to maintain their attention, but they're going to call more from the beginning and the end. So trying to figure out, there were just as many studies that found the primacy effect the most important, and others found the recency effect was the most important as far as recall. But then a lot more recent research has found that it came down to people's abilities and motivation to process the persuasive message and how much they cared about the message. So when they're motivated, they want to learn, they want to process information, it's primacy. But when motivation... And then the willingness to learn is low. It came down to recency. So let me clarify that. Again, you want to go first or last if it's an option. <laughs> Try to pick one. Even with your message, you have, what, a minute or two, 30 seconds to grab their attention. That's your primacy effect. That's your first impression with your audience. So let me put it to you this way. If you're helping them form a first opinion about your product or service, they really don't know much about it, but they have a problem that needs to be solved, you should probably go first. So you're the first thing they hear about that world, that product or service, something that's new to them. If you're in an industry or service that has lots of conflicting information and they're already educated on something, if you can teach them something new and unique, you probably want to go last because they'll remember that one the most. 
But at least make sure you go first left. Try not to be in the middle. Can't always help that. You can be more memorable. If you have to go in the middle, it's going to come back to your charisma and your presentation skills, and we'll talk about that one another time. Or go to the podcast archives at influenceuniversity.com, home of their advanced PhD persuasion program. So bottom line, remember the primacy are the first things the best and the recency are the last things the best. And that should be important as you put together your presentations or as you work with people or as you choose your spot. Even in a job interview, you probably want to go first or last if you can. So work on those first impressions. Also part of that, as we talked about earlier in the podcast, is those first impressions, developing that connection, that rapport which is equivalent to being on the same wavelength with the other person, that connection's key to mutual trust. When you can connect and develop rapport, you can work with people that have different beliefs and opinions and create a bond. That connection can even exist between two people that have very little in common. Great persuaders develop that rapport. Remember, you connect with people how they want to be connected with. You persuade people how they want to be persuaded. And the challenges that I've seen is I've monitored these persuasive situations, probably thousands of them to this point, is that most persuaders can't tell if they're connecting. They think if they're doing everything right, that they're, if they're doing the stereotypical rapport building, tell me about your family. Oh, hey, do you golf? Hey, the fish on the wall. Tell me about that. Some of those old style cheesy tactics just don't work anymore, especially with the person. But most time with persuaders, they're not building rapport, they're not connecting. The person's being polite, but inside they don't like you and you're not connecting and you can't persuade very well if they don't like you. And one study found that 75% of the people during this connection do not like all the gushy, chit-chatty stuff, but 99% of them won't even bother to stop you when they're annoyed. So sometimes with some people, you got to get to the point and connect throughout your presentation versus some people need it in the beginning. You know, you got that high lactose, cheesy, bad salesperson. That's the type of person that comes in mind here. They're all chummy, stupid jokes. Everyone loves them. And like most people, they endure the encounter, just never returning phone calls, or they're too busy, they'll think about it. (laughs) And the challenge is like, yeah, I know this person. I've met them before. Well, the reality check is this could be you. (laughs) This is you. If you're not adapting to different styles and personalities and cultures and age groups, with your persuasive presentation, you could be repelling people. We'll have to spend more time on that in some of our podcasts. Let me know what you want to hear in the podcast at Kurt, K-O-R-T, at MaximizeYourInfluence.com. But let me finish up with a fable. I love fables because they teach principles in a different way. That charismatic people use more metaphors, similes, and fables than average people. Here it is. A rabbit was very popular with the other animals. All claimed to be her friend. One day she heard the hounds approaching and hoped to escape them with the aid of her many friends. She went to the horse and asked him to carry her away from the hounds on his back. But he declined, stating that he had important work to do for his master. I'm sure he said that all your other friends will come to your assistance. Then the rabbit asked the bull, hoping he would scare the hounds with his sharp horns. The bull replied, I'm very sorry, but I have an appointment. I'm sure, however, that your other friend... The goat will do what you want. But the goat feared he could get hurt. The ram, the rabbit, felt for sure that was the right friend to ask. So he went to the ram and told him the story. The ram replied, Another time, my friend, I do not like to interfere. The hounds have been known to eat sheep as well as rabbits. The rabbit then asked, as a last hope, to the pig, 
who regretted that he was unable to help her. He did not want to take the responsibility upon himself. By this time, the hounds were getting close, and the rabbit decided to run. Luckily, barely escaped from the hounds. What's the meaning of this fable? Everyone will act like your friend until you need help. Everyone will act like they like you until you ask for their business. Truly connect. Work on first impressions. Think about primacy and recency effect. These skills are power tools to help you out. Hopefully that was helpful information for you this week. Continue to master these skills. You can check us out at MaximizeYourInfluence.com. Master a tool a week and go out and persuade with power. 